looking at the first five that we have looked at so far. The first one was, let us fear. The second was, let us be diligent. The third is, let us hold fast to our confession. Fourth, let us draw near to the throne of grace. And fifth, let us press on to maturity. Last week was let us press on to maturity. And we want to make sure that we're getting off the milk and on to the meat. We are not supposed to be on milk any longer. We are supposed to be eating solid food and doing adult things, not children things in church. And uh, honestly, uh, coming in to serve, not to always just receive, even though we are here to receive, but we're mainly here to serve. We've come in here to serve the Lord, to serve the Lord's people. And we need to have something to serve. But uh, the sixth step for tonight is let us draw near to the most holy place. Such an amazing thing as we did the songs tonight from Good Good Father about him drawing, calling us to him, calling us near. That's what tonight's going to be about. But then about the Revelation song that we did and about the throne of grace. And then Pastor Justin started praying about uh, about the throne and about that throne of grace. But we're going to take a look at some scripture here. But I, I, I found it interesting that as we do each one of these, let us, um, it always starts with therefore. In other words, it is this progressive, logical, unfolding sequence of thought. It just keeps continuing and continuing and therefore, therefore, therefore. What is it therefore? But I believe that there is a a practical application to the sequence that is expressed in these let us statements. Now let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Here it goes again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. There is so much in that scripture, and I, I really, I told you I was going to get you out of here early. I'm not. It's going to be at least 7.30. There's too much here that we've got we've to we've hit. Um, but if you will, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 10, 19 and hold it there. Because I'm going to jump to some other scriptures, but I want you to be able to keep coming back to this scripture. Now, we're going to contrast the fourth resolution that we talked about. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. These two sound similar. Let us draw near to the most holy place and let us draw near to the throne of grace. And this is by contrast, in contrast to let us draw near to God. And I'm going to try to give you some context. Because it is this... It is directly related to the statement in Hebrews 10, 19 that we are to have confidence. You should have it open to that. We should have confidence to enter the most holy place. Then it says, let us draw near to God. I believe it's clear that there is an equivalent to drawing near to God and drawing and entering the most holy place. And we're going to compare these statements. Earlier in in part four, we saw let us draw near to the throne. And I believe that that means to come in a time of need. Come to the throne of mercy and grace. When we have a need, we should come to the throne. The throne of mercy and grace. 
But this one is talking about drawing near to the most holy place, which is drawing near to God himself. Draw near to the throne, we saw earlier, right? Let us draw near to the throne of grace. That's drawing near to the throne. At the throne, we get mercy and grace. But now we're talking about drawing near, not to the throne, but to God. There's a difference. Amen? Can y'all see? There are two different things, the throne and draw near to God. So, I believe that this takes us much farther. I think that the, the general Christian, the general church goer, understands calling on God for help. I believe it usually is the place we start is out of our need, out of our need to get out of what we're in. So we come to him for help. But now we're talking about going on a little bit further. And again, Pastor Justin hit this. It was very interesting as he was speaking. Not merely to come to the throne for help, but that we are invited to take our place with Christ on the throne. I'm going to give you scripture from this. This is what it means to enter into the most holy place. Now, I'm not going to go into detail about the tabernacle, but real quick, there are three main areas of the tabernacle. The outer court, outside, and then the inside, the first curtain of the tent was called the holy place. And at the end, beyond the second curtain, was called the most holy place. Those three basic areas, pattern based on the tabernacle. And our destination as Christ followers, as sons of God, is to come into that most holy place. That is our destination. Uh, Pastor Justin was saying we're not second rate. We are not beggars. We have, a, we have a seat at the table. We are not only sitting at the table, but it's going to say that we are seated with Christ. That's where my seat is. Church on the Hill, that's where your seat is is you are seated with Christ. You're not at the end of the table. You're not a worker at the table. You're seated with Christ. Beyond the second curtain. The only furniture in the most holy place designed by God was just the Ark of the Covenant, which was this box made out of acacia wood that was all covered with gold. And it was topped with what's called the mercy seat. or the, It's called the place of propitiation. Kind of a cool word, kind of a churchy word. But it's basically the place of the atoning sacrifice. Inside the ark were the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. And these were covered by the mercy seat. Now I want to try to get you to get a visual image of what we're looking at here. This indicates that through Christ's propitiation or his atoning sacrifice, through Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, the law has been covered by mercy. On the ends of the mercy seat were two cherubs facing one another, looking toward the center of the mercy seat with their wings outstretched over them and their wingtips touching in the center. Now, the mercy seat was God's throne. God sits on the throne of mercy. His mercy covers the law. We can't keep it. We must have mercy. We never could keep it. 
The two cherubs with their faces turned inward toward another, the wingtips touching, represents also a place of fellowship. So, at the mercy seat is a place of mercy, it's also a place of fellowship, but it's also a throne, which is the seat of the king. It is the seat of God. Now, there was no representation of God in this piece of furniture. God himself was not represented because it was forbidden by law for the Israelites. But God did come to that mercy seat. He came in the form of his Shekinah glory. Everybody say Shekinah. Such a cool word. Shekinah, it's like, I want to say, yeah, I'm not going to go there. I kind of want to, but I'm not going to. Um, He came in the form of Shekinah glory or the visible, sensible presence of Almighty God. Without that glory coming into this tabernacle, it would be completely pitch dark. No windows, no light. The only light was the light of God himself. There was no natural or artificial light. But when the Shekinah, the glorious presence of God came in, then it was God taking his place on the throne. Now, church on the hill goers, this is our intention in worship. It is not to sing three songs and sit down and fellowship and shake hands and enjoy each other. It is for us to take access to the manifest presence of God. To come into that presence of God. I could feel it tonight. I feel it almost every time that we worship. It's not ever the worship team's problem. Sometimes I just, I just struggle to come in. You know, we really have to make an effort to come into that place. And I want you to know, I don't have to have a worship team in my presence to come into the presence of the Lord. It makes it easier It makes me get my focus there quicker, but I can be in the presence of the Lord at any time that I choose. He has given me that access because of that propitiation, because of that atoning sacrifice. The veil was torn so that I could have access to my rightful seat seated with Christ at any time. That is the point of our worship. You want to know why our worship looks weird? Is because something else takes over us. It doesn't look weird. It will be the most normal thing that we experience for all eternity. It just seems weird for these 80 years that we live here. Because the world does not understand the presence of God. I don't know how I can explain it. Except that it is as real as any other thing that I experience here on earth. And when... It is our desire at Church on the Hill that when we worship, that we, when we come together, that it is our intention to serve the Lord and to come into the manifest presence of God every time. In life group, in Sunday school, in every area that we are, that we have that access and that we take that access. And when you come up here for prayer, that's where we have to go. We have to go into the throne room. There is no power in me, but the same, there is power in me. Let me, let me rephrase that. Christ in me, and 
when, when Christ is in me and we are really functioning, fully filled with the Holy Spirit, you know where we are? We are seated with Christ at the throne. That's why there's power. It's because it's the Lord. So, this sixth let us invites us into the most holy place. We are invited to draw near to God, to take our place with Christ on the throne. And this passage, Hebrews 10, also tells us, if you saw it, that we are to come in. I don't know if it's on this part. It may be in verse uh, 21, 10, 21. No, uh, verse 20, by a new and living way. What is the new and living way? It's Jesus. We are to come exactly the same way that he came. Now, I want to quickly look at four requirements for coming into the presence of God. Speaking about our entrance into the most holy place and approaching the mercy seat on the throne, the Hebrew writer gives us four requirements right here in Hebrews chapter 10. So the first one, it says that we are to have a sincere heart. We do not come in with our mind, with our head. We come in with our heart. It's why so many times that the really highly intellectuals have such a hard time because it's so hard, it's almost impossible to really explain in our mind. I understand it by my heart. Now my head comes along a little bit slower most of the time. But being filled with the Holy Spirit and and praying for healing and praying for breakthrough and believing that I can give my tithe 10% and that God's going to bless it is a heart thing. I believe it with all my heart. Now I've seen it. He's proven it. He's proven it. My mind is, is understanding better, but I still can't hardly grasp a father giving his son to die for, the, for us all, sacrificing that son, that one and only son. I still, my mind, can't hardly comprehend. As much as I love the Lord and as much as I love you and as much as I love my family, I still just can't that the love of God is, is, is too much for my mind. It's not too much for me to take. It's just, it's just so much. It, my head's not big enough. Everybody say amen. Yeah, it's not. It's not. God's, God's infinitely good. So a sincere heart. A longing heart. He meets a longing heart. Without pretensions or hypocrisy. We have to expose ourselves to God just as we are and not try to cover anything up or pretend to be different than we are. Just as we are. Open and honest with God. Not hiding anything. Second is a full assurance of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. You can probably still see it. I can still see it on the same page. Without faith it is impossible to please God for he who comes... He who comes to God must believe. We must have faith. We must come with faith in God's faithfulness. In other words, not in our own ability or righteousness, but with absolute faith in God's faithfulness. Sunday morning I talked about righteousness and I talked about um, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and talked a lot about how we are to seek God, to abide in God. And if we have the word in us, we have the truth, and we start to understand better, even in our basic decisions, what's right and what's wrong. But what I didn't touch on is Christ's righteousness. 
And how when we abide in the word and we believe in the word, that not only is he going to give us truth and give us direction and give us wisdom, then he covers us with his righteousness. That, that beats everything. That then presents us, makes us presentable. We're not presentable with that, even with our, the hardest that we work. It's not good enough. But when we abide in Christ, when we abide in his word and we follow it, not, you know, we do make natural good decisions. It's not that all of a sudden our bad decisions wind up being turning out good. No, we start to make good decisions because it's based on his word. It's based on his power. It's based on his spirit leading us. But that's still not enough. Then comes the righteousness of Christ. I get that. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying I understand it. I'm saying I receive it. He, put, he covers me with that. We just crash, crashed and burned. It's all right. I don't need it. Um, the righteousness of Christ. Isn't that good? Come by faith. Not on our ability or righteousness, but faith in God. Part three of the requirement. Our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. This is still, again, straight out of uh, Hebrews 10. The scripture we just read. This evil conscience is us. We make mistakes. We do dumb things. We sin. We have sinful deeds that we have committed in the past. But through the blood of Jesus, we can assure that we can be assured that these deeds have been covered, have been cleansed, have been washed clean, have been forgiven, and our hearts are pure from sin. If I come into the presence of the Lord the way that he is designed to, I come clean, free. There is no other way to come in. You must be clean. You must be sprinkled by the blood. That's what gives us the access past, past that curtain. No blood, no access. No man can come to the Father except through Jesus. It's the only way in. So you're not coming in dirty, you're coming in clean. Good. We can have our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience through the blood of Jesus. And then finally, our bodies washed with pure water. In John's first epistle, it tells us that Jesus came by water and by blood. These two conditions, we see both elements, the blood that sprinkles the evil conscience and the water that washes our body. I believe that the water is Christian baptism. I also believe it's the word. But let's focus on Christian baptism for just a moment. Because every place where it is explained in the New Testament, Christian baptism is depicted as sharing in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That is the new way. The new and living way is by Jesus. It's the act of coming and partaking of his death, dying of self, his burial and his resurrection, partaking of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. There we are identified with everything that Jesus went through in dying for our sins. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Now listen to me. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms 
in Christ Jesus. You know, it's just not enough to just spend 30 minutes to try to take in this, what we're learning tonight, because it's, this is life. This, this message tonight is freedom. This message tonight is truth. Um, it's fulfillment. It, it's, it's the fullness of God. It's getting to the point of just spinning your wheels like you're, in a, like you're a mouse running a wheel to really getting your feet planted on solid ground and moving forward. This getting into the presence of God will change everything. Three stages, if you notice here in Ephesians 2. First, we are made alive. Second, we are raised up. We die to ourselves. We, we are buried. The old, old man is gone. We're, we're made alive. We're raised up and resurrected. But that's not it. It doesn't just pat us on the rear end and say good luck. No, it says now you are raised up and you are seated with Christ. That's me. Y'all say, that's me. That's me. Where is Jesus seated? He's seated on the throne. So what does it mean to be seated with him? It means to be enthroned and to share the throne with him. Once we see our identification with Jesus, we are identified with Jesus. Man. Once we see we're identified with Jesus, we're invited to follow him all the way. He is the new and living way. We can be made alive with him. We can be resurrected with him. But we don't stop there. We can also be enthroned with him. In the pattern of the tabernacle, the first curtain represents what we enter through through sharing through the resurrection of Jesus. But the second curtain leads us to the most holy place where we, that represents what we enter into through the sharing in the ascension of Jesus. Jesus wasn't merely resurrected, but he was subsequently raised to heaven to the throne. This is where God wants us. He does not want us to stop short, to stop short of his throne and his presence, to stop short of that new and living way. He wants us seated with him in heavenly places. He wants us with him. I want to encourage you, when we worship, when you get home, it is good, it is good to boldly approach the throne of grace. It's good to approach him in your time of need. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about all those other times when things are okay. Spend time with the Lord then. You will find that that time far exceeds the need time. That, that manifest presence of God, I can't explain how good it is.
um, this is where my heart is, is that place, that place in worship, that place in our life. If you really want to get me going, that's where I desire to be, is in that presence of God. And uh, we have that here. Church on the Hill has that. We have that access. I want you to look at step six. We've been looking at all the steps of AA as we've been going through these steps. This one just blows me away. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. As Pastor Justin was praying, the more I read these steps from AA, it is people that are desperate. It's not just alcoholics. This program is for people who are desperate, who are desperate for breakthrough. Whenever you get to the point where you say, okay, God, or okay, I'm ready to change, change can occur. The problem is we get so hard-hearted that we won't change. But I have, I, I have never studied the steps of AA, and I have just loved reading them. They're not, they're good. God, remove all these defects of my character. You know, David prayed to shine the light in the dark places. Go ahead and show me what I've got wrong, because I know I do, and I know you're good to show me, and you're good to help me through those. Amen? Amen. Pastor Justin, will you come up and pray over us and pray over the list?